If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to the Weekly Exchange. This week in Forex and Strategy Game News, we have updates on Thea 2, Dominions 5, Stellaris, and much, much more. Troy. Hey, Troy. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nate. It's good to be here. How are things out in California? Things are good. For those of you that don't know, it's my turn to be on vacation. But as I have done in years past, I do not miss the weekly exchange. So I always try to find a little block of time for me to participate in the recording of said weekly exchange. So here I am. Now, as a small aside, you if you start Noticing a little bit difference, like little differences in sound quality, it's because I don't have the same setup as I do when I record when I'm back home. So, you know, you're just going to have to forgive us for our trespasses and, (laughs) you know, we'll be back to a regularly good sounding stuff minus thunderstorms and whatever acts of God happen to be passing overhead in, I think, like two weeks and two shows. So, but otherwise, everything's good. How about you, Troy? Uh, Yeah, I had a busy week, but, you know... Uh, able to manage it. Not too much trouble here. Weather has been all right. A little bit rainy, but not as hot as it was. So I'm thankful for that. And uh, I think I'm ready to get on with the show. How about you? I am ready to go. So take it away, Troy. Yeah, we're going to kick off. Uh, We'll do it alphabetically. We'll start with Aggressors Rome. Just kidding. We're not doing it alphabetically. Just this happens to be the first one. And uh, Aggressors, Aggressors Ancient Rome had a dev diary this past week. And it was basically all about consequences. The game is not going to give you explicit missions that require explicit actions with explicit reward. They're going to give you general objectives, and then however you accomplish those, or however you do it, and the rewards are going to be hidden. Okay, so like your people, you know, if you're playing Rome, you want to conquer the area around you. So you might have to conquer the island of Sicily. The game isn't going to tell you how to do that. You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. It's not going to tell you what reward you will get for conquering Sicily. So you kind of have to do that blind. It's also going to have consequences for how you go about doing it. So let's say you start raising a big army like you would naturally do in any uh, 4X or strategy game. And uh, you want a really big army, like a huge army, because you plan, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to stop at Greece. I'm just going to hop on my or start at, stop at Sicily. I'm going to hop on my boats, go over to Greece, start conquering things there. And so you start pulling all these guys uh, away from their homes, training them to be soldiers. And at first, you know, 
that makes everybody happy because they feel safe because there's a big army and uh, you can fend off the barbarians or whatever. But then it starts to cause problems because there are fewer and fewer men out there working in the fields. And so uh, you have a food shortage and you have to deal with uh, unrest and maybe riots as a result. And will you use your military to put down the riot? What are the repercussions of doing that? And so that sort of thing. If they can pull that off in the programming of the game, I think that would be really cool. Um, I just wonder, you know, uh, how how far down the cause and effect chain they'll be able to go with something like that. Right. And is it procedurally generated? Or is it every single time when you raise a large army, you're going to have issues with uh, food shortages and you know, food production and unrest and stuff like that? Or is it going to be, um, I guess, reliant, not reliant, but dependent on what region they come from? So if you're raising a large army from a militant region, are they going to be more loyal, I guess, or less likely to give you trouble versus a region that has more peasants where they're like, we don't want a war, we don't want to fight, we just want to stay in our fields and, you know, tend to our flock and, you know, take care of our families, you know? So I'm sure that's probably going to play a role in it too. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Will it be the same consequences every single time to the same degree every single time? If that's the case, I mean, I guess that would be kind of nice, but um, it, it might get old after a while. I don't know. I don't know, but I like the idea. I really like the idea. Uh, I'm just a little bit dubious, at least at this point, how well they'll get that implemented. But, that, I mean, that's kind of the whole point of development, right? Is uh, you, you prove the skeptics wrong and you come out with a great game at the end. And that's what I'm really hoping for. You're trying new things and, you know, seeing how it plays out. Exactly. Precisely. All right. Well, speaking of games that are doing things differently, uh, this past week had an update for Dominions. And this is a relatively short update that addresses crashes and um, modding. So they, they had a much larger update a couple of weeks back, and Micah was on. And mostly it's just, it's just fixes. So it's kind of just letting, there'll be a link in the notes for people that want to see more specific stuff. And there was a request in uh, our forum thread that we do these more frequently. You know, we do this for other games. And the thing is, is we actually do, we do do this pretty frequently when something of note pops up we report on it it's just that after we do this sometimes people are like oh you should have gone into more detail you know how come you don't go into detail so it kind of sends us down a rabbit hole that i don't want to go down because not because i wouldn't do it for another game but if i'm not playing this game going down this rabbit hole puts me in a position where people ask me questions i cannot answer so then it's like it changes from oh you're not covering the game to oh you don't know what you're talking about and it's like Oh, you know, I don't want to get stuck in that. Every bit of news that's ever reported is not always reported by people that are 100% not just familiar, but experts in the field, you know? Oh, yeah. So we kind of have to draw this fine line. So some of the some of the things, for example, that they fixed is, you know, they're um, they're fixing. Let me see. So there's some improvements to the spell AI, to the map editor, modeling, and more. Okay, but if I start going into specifics, like map editor no longer wraps brush on non-wrap maps, I have no idea what that means, you know? Since yeah. I don't play the game, I don't have a frame of reference. So if I say that and somebody says, well, you said it wrong or you meant it this way, I'm like, I, I don't know. So, or no throne can be set in a map editor. So, yeah, you know, exactly. Base, okay, and then there's, of course... 
the something queen got in vulnerability. So, <laughs> yeah, you'll have to see the notes. But yes, so the minions had an update. And when something more substantial pops up, we'll have Micah join us again and report on it. Awesome. Very good. Well, we're going to talk about Thea 2 next. And uh, the developers released a about a 25-minute, 24-minute playthrough of the pre-alpha game. And it was fantastic. It was awesome. Uh, Yuki is the one playing it and she's narrating you know her actions as she goes through and like this game is really different from Thea 1 you're you're not starting with um a village right off the bat like you're like in this particular playthrough I don't know if it's going to be the same every time that would be an interesting thing to find out but uh her characters got to this island because they were shipwrecked and she starts off with uh, a couple of women and a goblin shaman. And, you know, she shows how you can move around on the map. Uh, she talked about the, the change in seasons. And uh, she got into combat and showed how the combat works. And I understand combat better now than I did when I was playing the demo version. So uh, that was really fantastic to see. Um, the characters look pretty good off the bat too they're not they're not just scrubs which was something i was a little bit worried about when i was playing the uh the demo of just the combat i'm like this is pretty complicated this is pretty hard i wonder if you know it's gonna the learning curve on it's gonna be difficult because early characters aren't going to be able to do all that much and uh, this playthrough really showed me that they'll be able to so the graphics look really good the water has a sheen on it from where the sun is shining. Uh, the map looks really crisp. And this is all like pre-alpha. Like most of this artwork is just placeholder art. Like you remember, Nate, when Thea 1 came out and we started playing it when it was in beta, I think. Um, Early beta. All the uh, the icons, you know, for the various metals or leather or even like swords and things like that look nothing like they do in the game now they're they're all completely different and and they improve like each iteration of those icons sometimes they change two or three times yep. uh they got better each time like so. the food ones remember they kept changing the food ones oh, making yeah. them so it's not like you're not cooking the same meal from 45 different ingredients you have different variants and things like that yeah it just it, it just kept getting better and like it's already really good um i like the new icons for research uh, you know, the, the way that, um, the, there's like an, an initiative bar for combat now. And I like the way that that works and, and how it communicates information to the player. That's all really also, good. Action points too. Yeah. Action points. That's kind of a new thing. Um, so anyway, we'll have a link to the playthrough in our show notes. You guys should really check it out. And Yuki, if you're listening to our podcast, uh, Where's my copy of the pre-alpha? I'm ready to play. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. What do we got next? Oh, yeah, Driftland. So I played a little bit of Driftland this week, and I'll talk about it more at the end. I don't have too much to report. But anyway, they had an update this past week, and they're calling it the community update because this group of devs is awesome at listening to the community and then giving the customers what they want. Like, the game has active pause. So, like, you can pause the game, and assign your units to tasks or uh, place a building that needs to be built or something like that. And that's great. When the game first came out, it didn't have that. And a lot of us asked for it. 
And at first they were like, well, we're not sure. That wasn't part of our original vision. But then they implemented it, and it's been great. It's been very popular. So they're really good about this. And so uh, some of the things they're adding in this community update is key bindings. You'll be able to set your own hotkeys, which is great. I really wanted that myself. Uh, Improved localizations, starting with Polish. Um, They're improving the UI icons, especially the flag icons. And I got to say that the way the flag icons work in the game are a little bit of a pain and a bit of a mystery to me also. So I'm glad that they're fixing that. And then, of course, you know, your your bug fixes and other tweaks and rebalances and improvements. So uh, most of it was asked for by the community and the customers are getting what they want. And that's what I like to see out of a company. And as far as I can tell from the community, it's a lot of positive feedback and they're spreading the word to their friends and more and more people on my Steam friends list is adding it more. Lot, more people have added Driftlands, the Magic Revival, as a game that they wish listed, and now people are buying it. Yeah, so, I, I gotta say, it's it's got a really positive vibe around it, and I enjoy that. Absolutely. All right, well, let's uh, move on to another game that quite possibly will be heavily reliant on community feedback, because that's how the predecessor was. Not the predecessor of the game, but the previous game that the developers worked on. This is for Age of Wonders Planetfall. So in this week's Dev Diary, it's called World Building, and they're explaining the significance that the Star Union plays to the setting, like what it's about. And they're they're doing lore building, you know, they're, they're explaining, you know, the, the history of this galaxy. They're explaining the roles that the various factions are going to play. So, for example, you have the Nexus. And this is not a faction. This is actually the mode of transportation. So the Nexus was a wormhole network that they used to move about. So probably like something like a cross between jump gates from Babylon 5 and probably uh, Stargate. But I don't don't know if they were within actual, within the system or on a planet where you could have units moving, you know, jumping from place to place. Then you have the core worlds. And then you have the three major factions, the Vanguard, the Paragons and the Terratech. So two of those factions are actually, uh, one of them is a biotech company, and these guys did a lot of terraforming and experimenting. So, you know, any weird-looking hybrids are probably coming from this one. Another one are the the rich and the powerful, so they are like, you know, elite military. And then and they're probably, you know, they're saying that these guys are augmented and, you know, all kinds of robotics and, you know, bionics and things like that. And then... You have the Vanguard, which are basically like the expeditionary forces that are coming back. They're, I guess, the old version of the military that the Star Union used when they were exploring and conquering or colonizing. So they're coming back and they're like, what's going on? What the hell? Where's their empire? We're going to fix this. So that's the lore. Now, one of the things that they released that I really like is they released like some of the like propaganda art almost showing those three factions and it very 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 much looks to me like the next step from what they were doing in civilization beyond earth because they had propaganda art for each of the sides and this kind of looks like it and it looks it looks really cool and like one of the elements looks very much like XCOM, and then another one gives you like gives you the feeling of uh like starship troopers a little bit 
And another one has the corporation from Aliens kind of doing experiments. So it's cool. I really like it. I'm I'm I got a good vibe from this. It makes me think that this game from Triumph Studios is going to be what Civilization Beyond Earth was shooting for. Granted, combat will be different, and you know there'll be other things that are different. But I think this is what they were shooting for, and Planetfall will achieve it and probably surpass it, or at least that's what I'm hoping. You know. Well, you're setting kind of a low bar there with uh, Civ Beyond Earth. No. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Civ Beyond Earth was not the spiritual successor to Alpha Centauri, according to Firaxis, because they do not own the license to them. They couldn't say that. But well, yeah, in regardless, it wasn't a very but, good game. No, it's not a question of whether it was good or not. It's a question of what they had wanted it to be. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, so they wanted it to be amazing. They had all these awesome ideas for the game that just didn't execute them well. Whereas Planetfall, I suspect, will be executing them well. So what Civilization Beyond Earth was shooting for, Planetfall will actually achieve and surpass. Do you see what I'm saying? So I'm not. It's not a question of whether the bar is low or high. It's like imagine teams like in a professional sport. It doesn't matter what the sport is, right? So you have one team that's trying to win whatever championship, and it doesn't, but it's trying. Whereas another team actually wins the championship. Do you get what I'm saying? Even if it's a new team, even if this is a team that recently joined the league, they go out and they win it in their first year in this league. Well, that's kind of what Planetfall is. You know, it's it's not a game that has an established multiple iterations. And by multiple, I mean more than just a few iterations at various generations. And they completely miss. They, they hit some goals, missed others, but that's that. Whereas Planetfall is the first time that Triumph Studios is going into space. They're doing like a, a futuristic, post-apocalyptic uh, 4X with uh, tactical combat that's based on what they did in Age of Wonders 3, but with more stuff to make it more interesting. And now that they're part of uh, Paradox Interactive, you know that there's going to be a lot more lore in the game dude, because Paradox loves to do that. With all the games, they're always adding, like, constantly improving the lore and adding, you know, back and bringing stuff in and expanding the game. So you know that if nothing else, Planetfall will have that. And based on its roots and its heritage, it's going to have a killer combat system. Okay, all right. If you are tying yourself in knots and getting really far afield. Why don't we move on to uh, Stellaris and just talk about that? We will re-examine this a couple of months down the line when we know more. And then I will... Okay, Troy, remember I was saying that and you'll tell me if i was tying myself or not or if i was doing some accurate future casting or maybe somebody in the comments will jump up and be like yeah he's right no he doesn't know what he's talking about yeah i'm just saying you know, so let's see. beyond let's earth see. wasn't a very good game that's <laughs> all i'm saying but I, I but the idea behind it was oh good. well yeah good ideas don't translate into good so that's games. my point is that no right but what i'm saying is that planetfall is going off of a, what appears to be a similar idea only they're going to do it better. Yeah, I think is so. Is what I'm getting. So that's it. That's all. I'm, I'm kind of, you're right. I'm going in circles, but that's what I'm getting at. The short of it is, is that the idea is similar, but it will be better. And that's it. So, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Stellaris. So they talked the post-launch for 2.1 for the Niven update and uh, content, Distant Stars, the paid content. And one of the things, now this is also for me. So when I was playing it, I started playing it with 2.0. And they changed, one of the things they changed, they changed, like, the prior to that, there was a whole bunch of changes put in for the claim system. So in order for you to go to war, you have to place claims, you have to have a reason, you know, you, ha- you can't just go to war. Well, 
some of the factions can, but the majority of factions actually have a reason, either an actual one or prefabricated one. But there was no place where you could easily see where the various claims were that you were making against your neighboring empires or they were making against you. Once that claim was made and you were notified there's a claim, that's it. You couldn't really see it. So they added that where you can actually see it on the map mode. You can see where there's contested systems or, you know, captured, you want to recapture it or something like that. You can see where there are claims. So that's, I know a lot of people were asking for that. I know I wanted to see some of that. So that's one. Another thing that they're doing is as part of 2.1, they added some more like space creatures and they changed some of the and things like that. So now they're, they've been modifying the spawning of the creatures, you know, the various uh, monsters and whatnot, and the, the fallen empires. And then finally, a big, so Distant Stars, the main story in it is about the L cluster. It's like this new set of jump gates, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And pretty much, I don't think I saw anybody saying, oh my God, this is the best part of the, the expansion because or the DLC, because it wasn't. Everybody were like, what? I don't get it. This other stuff is cool, but I don't get this. It's like they, Something's missing here. So they're continuing to address it, trying to improve these the L clusters and trying to improve the new story that they introduced with Distant Stars. So, But that's it. Otherwise, they don't really say much more. So we'll keep seeing. And, you know, the usual. Some bug fixes, you know, whatever's being reported is being addressed. All right. Very cool. Well, this past week on Exforminate, we had a Q&A with uh, the developers for Remnant. And, Nate, uh, back in 2015... We did a little piece on the Kickstarter for this game, and then we never heard about it again. And I know you and I just kind of gave it up for dead. We thought, well, yeah, it, it that it happens. happens. That happens, right? right? You know, I right. mean, there's nothing wrong with trying to make a game and failing. Um, it, that that's, I mean, that's that's life. That happens all the time. So when we got wind that Remnant wasn't dead. Uh, we really wanted to know more about it because it just kind of disappears. So uh, the, the devs were uh, very gracious in uh, talking to us, uh, particularly um, A. Scott McCollum. And uh, that, that article, I think, went really well. Um, I enjoyed that guy's answers. I thought he answered our questions very thoroughly. Um, he's clearly uh, a, a good writer. Uh, has good command of the language and um, gave us a lot of information about the game, like some specific information about the game, along with some fantastic screenshots that shows that yeah, they've been they've been working on it. Like this wasn't uh, just a failed Kickstarter or or a failed attempt at making a game. That, that this is happening. So uh, that was really pleasing for us to to find out that the game was still in production and. Um, I, I think for the most part, those those who read the Q&A really enjoyed what the developer had to say. Yep, and he's actually in the comments addressing the people that are commenting and asking questions directly. So there's an exchange going on over there, which is cool. Now, for me, what brought this back out of, you know, out of obscurity is that he started a second Kickstarter. And I reported about it, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, maybe a month, maybe a little bit more. But what really caught my attention is that he wasn't asking for $10,000, $100,000. He asked for like 600-something bucks because he just needed just a tad bit more money so he could do the portraits for the various, you know, characters in the game. Just so he, he had like the final bit of art. And at the time of recording, I believe the Kickstarter is still going, but it's probably on the verge of being done. So I'm going to go ahead and just real quickly click. So he provided a link. 
in the comments for the Kickstarter, and I'm going to look real quick and see what the funding level was in there. Let me see. Where is it? Right. There it is. Okay. So the funding level for the game, he had asked for $564, and at the time of this recording, there were still 24 hours left, and he had collected $4,433. Now, usually when you're thinking about Kickstarter, you're thinking people asking like large sums of money. He asked for a very reasonable sum. He got what is it, ten almost 10 times what he had asked for. Well, not eight times what he had asked for. And it's good. Hopefully, he, he's able to use this money to finish whatever art assets are missing and, you know, do something more with it and put out the game because the game, it looks good. And for me, this is not the type of game that I play. I'm not a fan of RTS. Having said that, I know a lot of the, our listeners are, and in the last couple of years, there have been several RTS Forex hybrids that just kind of died on the vine. You know, they were happening, happening, and something something went down. There was, you know, developer drama or studio ran out of money or just the, the scope of the game got too large or whatever, and they just disappeared. Whereas this one came back. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed, and I'm hoping that it does manage to come out. So he had said that he's going to try to have it have a playable version, like an early access type version, September, October. So I'm, I'm hoping he does, but if not, if it's the end of the year, that's okay too. As long as he's communicating with his Kickstarter backers and, you know, letting people know and giving status updates, not daily, you know, not, nothing, not, not even weekly, but every couple of weeks, hey guys, you know, this is what's going on, here's where we're at. You know, that's, that's really good because a lot of people don't even do that. You know, they're just, they kind of take money and then at some point they're like, oh, it got away from us, sorry, but I have this other game I'm making, so why don't you give me money for that? And I really don't like when I see that. Yeah, very cool. Uh, we also got an update for Frostpunk this past week, and this one introduced the Survivor mode, which is what a lot of other games call Iron Mad mode. Uh, there's no active pause, and progress is saved on exit only. So, I mean, you can pause the game by opening the menu, right? If you got to run to the restroom or whatever, I guess. And your your game only saves when you leave it. So, you know, we've played lots of games like that. And... They've added achievements for that. And also this, this is what I'm really excited about. This is really cool. They're, they've added Ansel SDK integration. I'm, I'm wondering if Ansel is an allusion to Ansel Adams, the famous photographer. Anyway, what Ansel lets you do is when you take a screenshot in the game, it doesn't just take what your screen is showing. It takes a full 360 degree view of where you were at that point in the game so you can oh like in the game itself on the map not like where you're sitting behind your computer in your right. underwear right i'm right, shaving right. for yeah three yeah days, exactly you know? exactly yeah you will not, not appear the in the play. picture uh we can we can all be thankful for that um <laughs> but yeah a 360 degree view of uh of the game you know like one of those uh google vr cameras will do so um you can share that you know f- I guess on mobile phone or PC or VR headsets. And um, that is really fascinating. Like, I wonder, I wouldn't be surprised if like for first person shooters or role playing games or, or other things, like if this just isn't adopted across the board and all future uh, games will have the option to take these 360 degree screenshots that, you know, you can, well, like, you know, like sometimes, um, if you go check out a hotel on a website or a house that's for sale, 
you you have those uh you know those pictures where you can kind of scroll around like or... a guided tour like a tour where you can go into the house and they'll show you like what the different rooms look like and the different possible setups like that right exactly exactly or uh even like a google street view that sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah all that so uh i think that's really awesome um I, I, I just can't imagine this not getting picked up by other games in the future. So uh, here, we're, we're, we're pro- reporting this cutting-edge technology here on the Weekly Exchange and look for this to show up in games in the future. I, I don't know about 4X games exactly because it's usually on isometric view. So like, I don't know. But um, like for FPS, uh, RPGs... Um, and even um, these uh, city builder things, that sounds really cool, really cool. And then, of course, you know, we got rebalances and bug fixes and all that sort of thing going on. And, oh, yeah, I, I also wanted to note that Frostpunk um, is available on GOG. So not just Steam, but also on GOG and also like uh, the Windows Store, because I know that Microsoft would like to have more of the PC gaming market income coming through its uh, doors. So anyway, uh, it's not just a Steam game anymore. Frostpunk's available on lots of different outlets, which is terrific. I'm all for competition, and I'm glad to see that. I'd be surprised if it doesn't make its way to the iOS Android platform. Oh, that's true. Or to Switch. That's true. It's not available for Switch or iOS or like. But it might be. Yeah. I wouldn't because like Darkest Dungeon made it out that way. Yeah. So. I, I wonder. I wonder what engine they used to build it. If if they used um, mm. Unity, then it'd be real easy. And if they just rolled their own, it might be really difficult. So yeah. that would be interesting to know. I don't know what uh, engine they used to build their game. So anyway, yeah, I think that's a good point, Nate. It it'll probably be out on those platforms soon. There's just too much money not to. It's already made a ton of money. So why not right. invest why not in? Make more, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, dollars chase dollars. That's that's the truth. Absolutely. So okay. So this next block. It's actually going to have multiple games that I'm going to go through quickly because they're all, I'd say, similar enough. So the first one is Xenonauts 2, and they have a Kickstarter up. And this Kickstarter, there'll be a link to it in uh, our notes. At the time of recording, it's been up for like, I don't know, four or five days. The goal was $66,320, and the pledges have already surpassed it by more than two times. So it's uh, at 139,282. So my guess, and it's like 26 days to go. My guess is it's going to keep going, you know, slow down towards the middle and, you know, ratchet up towards the end. So the game is funded. There's a video in there. They got a lot of really cool information. They're talking about how the game has changed since Xenonauts 1. Like it's matured. The, you know, there's graphical updates. There's apparently there's also, you can download the Alpha Combat demo so you can see how it plays out and uh, they're showing you like there are a couple of animated a couple of gifs in there and they show you like the different outfits and like weapon loadouts and things like that what a base looks like some weapons and then they and then like you know the actual combat on the map which is still very similar to how uh, the original XCOM looked and in one of the things that they're showing is when there's an alien being basically gunned down and they're showing damage being done to the environment which is really cool it's you know if you click on the kickstarter link you'll see it and they're showing different environments some animated aliens and movements and stuff and i can honestly say that i will most likely probably like 75 percent probability that i'm going to back that because 
I like a lot of the games, the genre. I think that the studio is doing fantastic work, and I want to see. I want to see, even though it's already backed, it's already been funded. I want to, you know, throw in pay, basically vote with my with my dollars. You know, it's yeah, one thing sure. when you're paying lip service to things that you like. Oh, I like this. Oh, I like that. But if you're not actually purchasing those products, then that's just you like it, but you're not really purchasing. You know, they're not getting your money. So this is one of those projects. I've I've only backed a couple of games, a couple of projects on Kickstarter. And this will definitely be another one that I back. Now moving on to the next news item. BattleTech just released update. So last week it was in version one. It was in beta for version 1.1. This is a very big patch, and they just released it. And there's there, there's some information in there. And then you start scrolling down, and then you see that it, some is an understatement. There's a lot actually, but the main stuff that they did here is there all kinds of balance fixes, UI changes changes to AI behavior and repair, like bug fixes and things like that. So for me, I'm towards the end of my campaign. And since I'm on vacation, I'm getting to play it. And after my game updated, my save was not corrupted. It just continued where I was at, except the AI is playing the game better. It's it's placing its uh, mechs better. It's taking advantage of terrain that it wasn't before. It's doing focus fire on damaged mechs, which really caught me by surprise. Another major thing that they did is they, uh, you know how you had mentioned a little bit ago the key binding? Well, I I don't know if they did anything with key binding because I don't do it, but I play mostly with my mouse. And one of the things that you had to do is if you like set up a movement in order to undo it, you had to like start using the keyboard escape and things like that. But now it's linked to your right mouse button. So you don't even need to do that. So you can you can guesstimate where you want to move your Mac and you can check out like firing solutions. Oh, I don't like it. Right click on the mouse. You don't even need to touch the keyboard and anything like that. So for me that's big because like I sometimes I just when I play, I don't feel like, you know, I don't want to be that involved. I want to be involved in the game, not involved with looking at the keyboard, figuring out what I have to press and things like that. Now, another thing that they did is a lot of the balance changes, they improved weapons by reducing heat like so when certain weapons like certain all the weapons basically generate heat but they reduced it and that's a big one because some weapons generated an incredible amount of heat and other weapons shouldn't be generating heat so it's like it's you got to keep and keep track of all these things so they've adjusted it another major thing this this is huge this is i think one of one of my favorite ones is that there's something called mech stability so now think about it. You're in this big giant robot, right? You're running around the battlefield. If you're not the best pilot, your mech starts to kind of wobble. If you're taking damage from all kinds of weapons, your mech is wobbly. Now, prior to this patch, it didn't matter whether you had the smallest mechs or the heaviest mechs. They were all equally wobbly. So there was basically an unintentional but built-in cheat where if you had weapons that were especially good at destabilizing a mech and knocking it down, which means once it's on the ground, you know, prone, then you can just start targeting different different body parts and boom, the mech is done. Even the biggest mech can be taken out easily. So now they increase that. So like the heaviest, biggest mech take twice as much of the stability damage before they actually go down. And that, so in the past, you could very easily take the biggest mechs and like, woohoo. Now it's much harder, and that's another one. And then another big change they made is they added more options to difficulty. So one of the major issues with the game is that difficulty was, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. Like, they didn't explain, they didn't 
relay the information correctly as to how difficult submissions were because you have sometimes reinforcements, sometimes you have ambushes and things like that. Now they do. Now it's more accurate. Now, like when you're doing a mission, if you know that there's something happening, because you you know you're sitting in orbit of a planet, you get a lot more information because you can see everything. So it's like you, your info, your intel's better. So it's gotten better. They added more difficulty settings, like all kinds of like mods through uh, Nexus mods and stuff like that. People have been doing not through Steam Workshop, by the way. So I do hope that they eventually add the Steam Workshop support. But anyways, so through Nexus mods and in other places, people are modding the game, but the team is like, "Ooh, these are some good mods. We like it." So they took some ideas. I don't know if they you know, got the modders involved or what they did, that that I don't know. But they took some of those ideas and they gave you those as like new options, like difficulty modes. So difficulty is more granular now. And speaking of which, very soon our review will be up. It's written, it's done. We're just doing last minute changes because of this patch to make sure that we address things. So like any comments that are in the review itself do not contradict or are not contradicted by the current gameplay because you know, the review is a little bit older than the patch. So once that's done, it'll be ready. It'll be up. I think the people that like Battletech are going to be very happy with it. And the people that don't like Battletech might be interested because just it's, it's very thorough. So, okay, let me see. What else? Oh, yes. Let's. This is another game that I'm very much... This is a game that I didn't kickstart, but I fig backed it. So it's like Kickstarter. And this is for Phoenix Point. And they, they've been doing these updates a little bit more frequently, which is good. And within the link, you'll see like the new art that they're using. They're explaining, uh, they're, ex they're adding new enemy units to the demo. They're explaining the differences and like what's changed since they've shown the game at, the la at a couple of cons and they've had a lot of feedback. So they're starting to show the differences. Like, you know, here's based on what we're seeing. Okay, we're going to adjust the gameplay this way, the unit that way, which is really, really good. And there's going to be more lore coming. And as usual, they're talking about the dev team, you know, which is cool. Not a lot of development studios do that where they tell you about who the various developers are. So, yeah. So anyways, so that's for Phoenix Point. So stay tuned. Click on the link. Lots of good information in there. And then the final game from this block is actually Fort Triumph. Now, this game is... Um, it's a fantasy XCOM, basically. Same, destructible terrain, magic, lots and lots and lots of humor in there. It's I think it's under 20 bucks right now in early access, and it's definitely worth it if you want to check it out. They have a fully functional demo. They're adding buildings. They're adding new characters. So definitely check it out. And then you know what? I think I have, I think I have one more. Oh, I had one more, but I might have forgotten to add it. Is it something mm. you'd want to cover next week, maybe? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Hold on. Let me look real quick. I think I added it to our Steam ch to our Steam group, but I forgot to add it here. And it's also I, I kind of have to add it. But yeah, it's Mutant Year Zero: The Road to Eden. So this is also like a squad tactics, but more RPG. And they released. And I'll link it in the notes. They released a uh, video for it, like uh, not a teaser, but like a full blown trailer. And it is really, really cool. So definitely check it out. If you're into these types of games, this is one of those games that I talked about earlier in the year that I'm looking forward to. And after you watch this trailer, if you don't at least say like, okay, that was cool. I hope that the game is actually like this trailer because if it is, this is gonna be, it's gonna be a fun game. It's gonna be, a, it's again, post-apocalypse, all kinds of weird stuff is going on. And this is XCOM-ish. And I don't know if there are aliens in it or not. I don't think so. Because this is about mutants on Earth, but it's it's damn cool. So, yeah. And let me see. I think that's it for that. 
I think that's it. That's so okay. So now this is going off something that we had said earlier, and we've been doing this. I think now what for like three or four weeks, maybe Troy. I think so. We've been trying to introduce one new game a week. These are game. These might not be like the typical games that we cover, like straight up strategy or four X in a sense, like oh this is a RTS or oh this is a squad tactics or oh this is this. We just we're kind of looking around, but we're not jumping in like oh this is a mobile game or this is a you know a first person shooter. We're kind of going to stay away from those, but we're going to be talking about like. Broadening our horizons a little bit and talking a little bit more about some other strategy games that, for what, whatever reason, caught our eye. And why are we doing that? Because Steam is just flooded with garbage. It is crowded. It is difficult to find new games that are unique or good. If somebody doesn't do any signal boosting and that, and that signal boost doesn't get picked up, some really, really fun games just get lost in the scrum. So... This week we're going to – so moving forward, there's actually going to be a new segment to the weekly exchange. And I'm not going to do this every week where I'm explaining what it is. It's just kind of like games we're playing. So – and now we have like the rant corner, you know, the soapbox corner. So now we're adding another one that's going to – this is interesting. Go check it out. So why don't you tell us about this week's game, Troy? All right. So, yeah, this week we're going to be talking about a game called Project Planet 9. And this game is an action RPG game sort of in the vein of Diablo. So if you've ever played any of the games in the Diablo series, you kind of know what gameplay is going to be like. And in this one, though, you're not uh, a hero with mystical weapons. You're playing a mech. So it's uh, kind of like Battletech. And you run around and you kill things just like you would in Diablo, right? And you got all your different weapons. And uh, you, you find spare parts that, that are lying on the ground or that uh, are dropped by the... Uh, enemies you destroy or uh, you get for missions that you complete and you run back to your garage and you tinker around with them and you can upgrade your old ones or add new ones kind of like well like Diablo right where you could kind of um, combine jewels or or craft weapons or things like that and put it all together so it's very similar in that uh, respect and uh, the developer for it Jotun Games um, released about a four almost five minute trailer well i shouldn't say trailer just like gameplay of the first five minutes of the game where uh, and this is like this is pre-alpha so looking at it don't make a judgment like oh this game is not good they're just showing you how the game plays but they still have to work on the graphics and things like that it's just an idea of what to expect right so um you know a lot of it's uh, uh you know you want to uh, dodge incoming attacks you want to use your machine guns or lasers or missiles to destroy your enemies that sort of thing it looks like a a really fun game that has a lot of action in it so yeah not too bad okay so let's move on to our ranty corner or or or, you know soapbox corner so let me ask you a question have you heard of red shell yeah i do i think it's a bit overblown the reaction to it but you've heard of it yeah i've heard of it okay so this is a program that runs it's a program that's present it's created by a third party and the studio is added to their games to run to verify information to collect information track information and it's um i don't know i don't know how do you even classify it because it's not really spyware uh yeah see some people have called it spyware it's not spyware it's it's analytics basically it it sends analytics back to the developer based on like what you do in the game and like uh what your interests are and that sort of thing it's probably i mean 
Well, go ahead. I don't want to steal your thunder. Go ahead. No, no, you're not. You're not stealing my thunder. Don't worry. Okay. So, well, I was, I was just gonna say, you know, uh, Europe passed all those new laws on like um, cookies and how websites follow you around and that sort of thing. And this is one of those companies that that does that. It just kind of follows you around and sees what you do when when you're playing your game and and even what your interests are outside the game. So anyway, I'm sorry, Nate. Go ahead. No, no, it's okay. So, like you said, there was a whole lot of hubhub. A bunch of people, you know, jumped on it. Like right now, it's with everything that's going on that's connected to the internet and to gaming. We're going to talk about a few other issues in a moment. Um, it might have been blown out of proportion, but again, it's one of those situations where it's innocuous in appearance. But if players don't say anything, then the company's like, oh, they don't care. So let's become more intrusive. Let's become more invasive, and yeah. then. The next program is not like this. It's not like about figuring out what you're playing and why you're playing. It's more about, ooh, what state of mind they're in. Or, you know, or maybe records what you're doing and then leaves an impression, oh, this gamer is really angry or something. We don't know what they're going to do with this, kind of, with, with, with this analytical information. You know, so that's kind of, I think that's what it's about. And I'm on the fence about it. Like, I don't think that this is a big deal, but it's one of those things where it's like, that's the... That's the tip of the spear. So when the tip comes out, you're like, oh, it's no big deal. And then when you see everything behind it, like, oh, I wish we would have stopped it before, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, people do need to be vigilant, guarding against uh, corporate power. I don't see this particular thing as all that unusual compared to, like, you know, if you use Gmail or Facebook or Instagram right, or anything right, like that, exactly, you're giving exactly. away way more information, I think, than what this is we just have the thing is this is kind of new for video games i'm right i say that but it's not really true like you know stardock tracks what everybody does on its game you know they can tell you you. yeah it tells you up front that's i think what's missing is that they were not disclosing this if they disclose it up front and they're like hey guys i think that's actually how this came to light is like these disclosures as a result of the rules passed and back in the end of may in the european union all the companies are like Oh, by the way, this is how we collect cookies. This is the data we collect. We just want you to know because, you know, we don't want to be sued to hell and back. So that's what this is. If they disclose this, so like when you said Windows, right, or when you said Google, Google tells you, hey, we collect analytics. If you click on settings, if you click on privacy or whichever tab it happens to be on Google, it'll tell you that, hey, we send random information. It's anonymous just for us to be able to figure out where the programs hang up, where the people are, you know, to target stuff better, blah, 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 blah. But you know about this. But it's these kind of programs that people don't know about that when they find it, they immediately assume the worst. They immediately, like, it's, you know, we're being spied on by government agencies because they really want to know how many hours of Civ we played. You <laughs> right, know? Right. But and, again, and some people were saying that, like, it was using too much of their system resources and slowing down their computers. Right. I that that's possible. That's certainly possible. It didn't. Absolutely. From what I've read, it it didn't look like this was a very resource hungry program. But, but you know what? If a person has a computer that's old or or sensitive, like well, maybe they're using yeah. the really high end things, and even a little bit of leaching right. matters. So. Yeah. Like uh, your Skype program. Yeah, like if Skype you look at it wrong, it starts to misbehave. You yeah. don't even have to do anything. Just look at it wrong. So, you know, it reads your mind. 
Yeah, it, exactly. Even tonight, we're we're having trouble, and we apologize, <laughs> and that's, I don't know. That, that's the way we'll, it is. We'll maybe, figure it out. We we'll, will we'll fix figure it out. Maybe we need to switch to Google Hangouts or something else. I don't know. Or, or maybe Discord, like everybody's saying. Oh, try Discord. Yeah, yeah, try Discord. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll talk we'll about talk Discord about, we'll, in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Uh, All right, let's move on to the next thing. Yeah, let's move on to something else, I guess. This is something else for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Video game addiction has now been classified as an official disorder by the World Health Organization. Yes. Um, They they call it technically gaming disorder. Okay. And um, what that does is it makes people with this who are diagnosed with this condition um, potentially, but not certainly, eligible for um, insurance coverage to treat the problem. So... uh, I you know I be, I believe that people can become addicted almost to anything. Nate, I I don't know how you feel about addictive. Oh, I agree. About, I agree with you. I yeah. agree with you. All right, I I I just see this as not necessarily like a a separate problem, but part of a you know a a a dis a disease a disease right that uh, can affect a whole lot of people who are predisposed to um, addictive behavior for yeah. practically yeah. anything. So. Uh, the, this is a mental health issue. You know, I don't want to make... Um, I know at, at various times, I've gotten carried away um, with games. Certainly, uh, my days playing EverQuest may have borderlined on obsession. Those were good days. I don't regret them. But for those who do have a serious problem, um, I, I do hope that they can find treatment. Uh, you know, my first reaction to hearing about this was a little bit dubious, right? Because, you know, video oh, games, yeah. you just turn it off, right? You know, but, you know, the more I thought about it, like if a person has an addictive personality where they are psychologically predisposed to becoming addicted to whatever, then, I mean, video games are as legit as, as practically any other activity. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely uh, uh, understand and sympathize and... Um, Hope that this does pave a way for people who uh, whose lives are being ruined by this mental health issue, not by video games. Right. You understand, but this mental health issue. Video games are not video games are not the cause of the disease. Exactly, exactly. They're a symptom. They're just another expression of the disease. Yeah, I like how you put some, that. Yeah, you know, for some people it's video games. Other people it's chocolate or food. Other people it's alcohol or but drugs or maybe. Uh, abusive behavior gambling. or anything like that. Um, Sga- oh, gambling. And that's kind of – so when I first heard of this, I was like, Yo, I was like, I don't know. I came at it from a different side. I came at it from the side of, oh, great. Now they're going to accuse video gamers of being addicts and we're the dregs of society. It's all our fault. I mean they already do that. Every time something happens, it's obviously the video game's fault. <laughs> right. Not the person who does it. It's the video games. You know, Oh, it's the music they listen to. It's the books they read. They're – brainwashed i mean granted i suppose i take it back i'm not supposed because i don't know either way but i'm i will believe it that there are people out there that are weak-willed enough to be impacted by things like this to get them to do whatever it is they did and that has nothing to do with video games that can be television that can be looking in the mirror and hearing voices. That can be you know, just somebody... risk-taking behavior. You know, they're addicted to the adrenaline rush, and so they sure. engage in more and more dangerous uh, activities um, uh, until something. I, I don't know if I'd put that at the feet of video games. But no, yes. no, no, For... definitely not video games. Like 
Uh, right. or, yeah, I was just referring to other addictive behaviors right. um, that, you know, or like even social media. Like, I, I you know, oh, yeah. I don't know if oh, yeah. social media, like getting likes on various social medias is an addictive activity for some people. Like, oh, th- it's diagnosed. This is yeah. like. This is accepted. There's there are people that are truly addicted to social media, and some of the things they do in the name of e-fame is horrendous. Yeah. And there's big YouTubers out there that do stuff like that, and then they try to act like it, it ain't no thing. Oh, it ain't no thing. It's like yeah, it's actually a big thing, and people, young kids are watching. Okay, anyways, we're getting off on all kinds of tangents. Yeah, there. yeah. So, so back to the point. It's an interesting conversation. I'm very curious to see which direction it ends up going and if we see something particularly egregious in one way or the other we will be sure to follow up with it at some point in the future it's just way too early to be able to say but the final parting thought for this is that a real video game addiction like when people get caught up in microtransaction type games where oh, yeah. they're such drive from like oh i get this piece of equipment this horse or you know this car or this outfit or this whatever and i'm gonna buy this colored firearm and this skin and this this and they get hit like you know with microtransactions loot boxes yeah loot boxes that was that whole thing that's uh that's preying on this uh, year most of last year yeah that that's kind of preying on obsessive compulsive disorder yes um yes right so yeah definitely that's definitely there's definitely that in there so if that's what they're targeting oh yeah then that's absolutely spot on so maybe it's another attack on the whole loot box mentality from publishers that all they really care about is our money and not so much about our well-being all right having uh, said that let's move on yeah let's move on on. and you know nate um you Uh and i you and i are both old enough and i imagine many of our listenership we're all old enough to remember a world before the World Wide Web, right? Yes. Before yes, internet went basically public and became the, the, the thing that we know, like pre-1992, right? And then in sure. 1992, uh, the internet essentially went public more than just email. It, you know, it was uh, the World Wide AOL, Web. stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, we, we all thought it was the greatest thing ever. And right. uh, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now, I mean, it's... It, it, it's huge, right? And it, in in as I have watched this evolve, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm an old geezer now, and I and I've seen this thing evolve over the years. I never want in all the years I have watched the internet evolve. I never once thought the internet as an institution would come under attack. I regarded it as something no different than running water or electricity. Too big to fail. Right. Well, not even just too big to fail. Just just an essential. Like, how would you have modern society without the internet? A commodity? Right. A utility? So, anyway, the, in, in the past year, the internet as an institution is, has come under attack. First, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, the end of net neutrality. Like, where all websites and, and all uh, internet services should be treated equally. There, there should right. be no throttling. There should be no preference, no favoritism. No, no fast lanes. Yeah. And now a subcommittee for the European Union Parliament has approved two articles that attack the Internet. And they do it. This is going to get very complicated, folks, and I do apologize for that. I will try to distill it down as best I can. Essentially, what these two articles do is try to... Pre- the, okay. Ostensibly, 
which is a word that means it appears on the surface but isn't really doing that underneath. Uh, ostensibly, what these articles do is they protect copyright. Okay, so if you create a movie or a, 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 a music or you write an article or you you take a photograph or anything like that, you own the copyright on that. Okay, you created it. It's your creative property, your intellectual property. You own it. You you should be compensated if anybody uses that, right? And that is yep. something that uh, Western civilization has valued now for hundreds of years. Um, not to the degree that we do now always, but we've come to understand over the last few hundred years, in, in Western society particularly, that a person should get to own what they create. And, and you know, I, I, I certainly support that, right? Uh, we, we had some funny instances in the early days of Explorinate. Do you remember when the Russian sites were stealing all our articles and yes. putting their names on it? You remember that from ages ago? <laughs> yeah. And, the, and here's the thing. We did not have an issue that another website wants to reprint our work or wants to, you know, share our work. It's just all we asked is that, hey, can you credit us. Hey, we're Explorminate. We're a US-based group that has people, you know, Western Europe and whatnot. Just to say, we got this from them. Go ahead and paraphrase. We're not professional. We don't make money from the articles. There's no ads. There's no money to be made from that. Just the people that did the work, give them credit. Hey, Troy wrote it or Rob wrote it or Dave wrote it or whomever, you know, uh, Oliver wrote it. Give them credit. Hey, they wrote it, say, hey, this guy who publish, who posts and publishes under this website wrote this review. We're going to paraphrase it in our language. And there was, and like we got in touch with the guy who was doing it. And he was very – he was a young kid and he was using like Google Translate. And his translations were awful because, you know, Google Translate even a couple of years ago was terrible. And now it's just slightly less terrible than garbage. Now it's just not good. Okay, so – Let's get back. Let's get back to the. Let's get back to the issue at hand here, real quick. So anyway, the these two articles passed by the European Union Parliament essentially require websites to screen content that are posted by users for copyright and trademark too. I would assume, but yeah, for copyright. So um, let let's say you're Twitter. And like we've we've all seen like the tons of memes on Twitter. Like you might have Captain Picard in his seat on the Enterprise going off, or you have uh, um, a grumpy cat doing a thing, or whatever. You know, we've all seen tons of memes. Right? A billion iterations. Yeah, a billion billion ira- the the guys film. from uh, Orange County Choppers or whatever. And um, you know, those, those that's all copyrighted material. You know, the the people who, you know, Paramount owns Captain Picard. They do. That That is their intellectual property. You using it to make a funny meme for the internet is, is actually using their copyright without their permission. But in America, we have this concept called fair use, where you can use copyright and trademarks up to a degree... And there are a lot of laws regarding it. Um, and when it comes to video and music, you're only given a brief amount of time yeah, that you can very show. Little right. Very little latitude. Right. But, but it's still it's there. Because they understand in order for people to critique something or to satirize something 
or to even just write an article about something, you might have to include copyrighted material. Um, like in our articles for uh, Exploraminate, we use screenshots from the game, right? Um, that's copyrighted material. That artwork belongs to those companies, and we are posting it. We're, we're technically posting it without their permission. We don't ask Paradox and Stardock and Firaxis if we can use images from their right. games. We just do. And, of course, they yep. don't mind, right? Uh, Mostly, yes. Sure, sure. Yeah, because, I mean, we're doing what we're doing, and it's fair use. We are writing about that game. So in America, that's not a big deal. I'm not sure that Europe has that kind of tradition. So what they're requiring websites to do is to basically filter user content and blur out or otherwise obscure copyrighted material. And also, if you're going to link something, um, like uh, I use a website quite often called realclearpolitics.com uh, because it contains lots of links to um, various political articles. And, and it has really other cool ones like Real Clear Science. A lot of really cool science articles are Real Clear Education, Education articles. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard of them. But heard of them. It, it's a really good series of websites. But all it is, essentially, is just links to other websites. And, you know, they sell ads on their site. And they make money basically by just linking to other people. And so the European Union is kind of like, well, you're using their copyright to make money, so you're going to have to cut that out. The thing is, like, what this means is it, it would basically shut, that, shut down a lot of social media where, uh, you know, if you post a meme or you post a stream of you playing a game or anything like that, then whatever website you're posting that through is going to have to screen it. And um, also, it it could put you in some legal trouble if you do not compensate the uh, originators of the copyrighted material for, for using it in whatever website you're using. And I, I definitely agree that there have been some shady things happen with copyright. You remember, um, it wasn't too long ago that Ray Fowler found a mod that was using his artwork for... Yeah, for Remnants. Yeah. Remnants of the Precursor. I remember. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he contacted the company. I don't know what company, what game it was for. Do you, do you remember, Nate? It was, uh, it was for Stellaris. Was it, it Stellaris? Was actually one of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a modder who I follow on Stellaris. And inadvertently, uh, well, I, I did it on purpose, but not with, that, with the intention of having them have an issue between each other. It's just I saw a mod that looked really cool, and now I retweeted it. And he was following me, and he's like, wait a minute, that's my stuff. I didn't give them permission. Yeah. I paid for this out of pocket. It's not you know, just some random stuff. This is stuff that he paid out of pocket. So he contacted them, and, and this model was like, well, you know, it's it's fair use. And he's like, actually, it isn't. No, it and isn't. There was yeah. a whole, right, so there was a whole thing, and then it got changed, and I felt really bad about it. No, but, you shouldn't feel bad about that. You did you did everything right there. You did I think you did no, everything right I, there. No, I know, but it feels almost like I narked on somebody oh, well. and that was not my intention. I did not realize that that was his stuff. It's not like I brought it to his attention. Hey Ray, check out somebody's using your stuff without your permission. It was like, wow, this is really cool. And then Ray's like, wait a minute, that's not cool. This is mine. And then the but I was like, wait a minute, this is publicly available. And then you know, that whole thing happened. But yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So I I definitely think there has been abuse on the internet of copyrighted material. And that certainly should stop. But having the government enforce that through legislation and threatening fines and, I guess, uh, if you don't pay the fines, jail time, 
uh, seems a bit heavy-handed and not really practical. Because they do it with music and movies. Well, I, I'm I'm going to get to that. Um, okay. The United States, when it comes to the internet, is is clearly the world leader in internet technology. It it just is. It's got uh, the the most advanced uh, tech companies, and it understands it. And um, you know there there were uh, several different uh, tech leaders in Europe who wrote letters to the European Parliament saying, look, we, we can't accommodate this. The only people that can accommodate this are the American companies who are used to filtering this sort of thing. They've got the power. So somebody like Google or Amazon or Facebook that is used or YouTube. to... YouTube. Well, YouTube's owned by Google. So that are okay. used to uh, filtering this much information. We're, we're, we just can't do that. And so, like, anybody with... A, this isn't going to affect the major websites, but it's going to affect the small ones. Like, any startup now has to comply with this. And that's just a ridiculous uh, requirement for them to do that. It's going to freeze... For Europe, it's going to freeze the, Euro the European Internet back where it was... Uh, Many years ago, not just now, many years ago. And uh, so, I mean, there's been a lot of different uh, uh, people come against this. A lot of different organizations come against this. But I noticed one organization supports this. And I was totally unsurprised by who it was. So I kept reading this article. We're going to leak the article Nintendo. to you. Nintendo no, not Nintendo. You would think it would be Nintendo. I was just kidding. Uh, I was kidding. But it was actually the Independent Music Companies Association. Ah, those trolls. Those uh, trolls. The music industry is is probably the filthiest industry in the world. I Nate has had to listen to me uh, in in the past, uh, certainly off air when we were just been talking about. Listen to me rant about the music industry and just how userous and and vile the the. The major players in the music industry are, I, I find them revolting, disgusting, uh, far worse than any publisher for a video game or for book publishing or anything like that. The music in industry is just revolting, revolting uh, to me. Uh, so they came out and supported this. Uh, because it sends a strong, I'm quoting them, a strong and ambiguous message sent by the European Parliament. The basically, you know, if you put somebody's music in the background of your video, you are violating their copyright. And I agree. Um, I, I hate to be on the music company's side here a little bit. Uh, like, if you go grab somebody's music, um, like, I don't know, you grab Metallica's, one, one of Metallica's songs, you put it on YouTube or something, yeah, that's not right. You shouldn't do that. Um, and if they take it down, then that's fine. And Or if you post it on YouTube and you understand that if YouTube takes it down, that's just a natural consequence of your action, I, I'm okay with that. If you understand there's going to be consequences for your actions and you take the actions anyway, I, I actually support that. That's fine. If you can live with the consequences, that's fine. But uh, the, the music industry here is supporting this, and it just puts in unreasonable burden on websites to filter content looking for copyright violations when there are already ways to report it and take it down um, that don't involve government involvement and uh, fines and potential jail time for not paying those fines as a result. Uh, I, just, I just find this as being created 
by people who don't understand the internet, who haven't taken the time no, to understand the no. internet. The same types of groups, you know, very powerful corporations or organizations pushing for the end of net neutrality. It's the same mindset that's pushing for, um, I think it's article, article 13, Article 11 here in the European Union. They, they are intent on crushing the little guy so the big guys can keep all the money in power. They are deathly afraid of disruptive businesses and technology. And let's face it, over the last 30 years, uh, there have been a ton of disruptive companies hit the internet and change the world. They just have. And these companies are terrified of this. And so they are they, doing... They that. understand. I disagree with you. I think they know exactly what they're oh, doing. Oh, they totally know what they're doing. They, they understand the internet. They understand no, the infrastructure. The, the politicians don't understand the internet. They no, the no politicians idea. the politicians are bought and paid for. Let's. I think almost any one of these arguments, any one of these rants or soapbox sessions that involves politicians, I think it is a safe bet to say that the politicians have been bought and paid for and they will shill whatever it is that they're told to shill and here's how much you get paid. The people that are starting these things, the people that are writing these laws that the politicians shill, the politicians don't know the first thing about anything. I'm sure, I, I don't know if most of them know the first thing about how to breathe. I, I don't I don't get that. I, you know, I, let's move on because I'm about to go on a crazy yeah, political yeah, rant right yeah. here. We still got other things to talk about. So hang in there, guys. This is this is really important and this affects you and it's interesting. And I will keep it shorter a little bit because this was really, really like this. This last bit that Troy did, very, very important because this has to do a lot with censorship too. And you're going to see in the next couple of months, couple of years, how these rules that are intended for one thing get end up used by political parties and governments for something completely different. And that's mm, kind of like, even sure. with the red shell, that's what I was getting at, is that we, we think it's going one way, but we don't really know which way it's going to go. And once the government gets involved and starts doing stuff, then it's like, oh man, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Okay, so another bit of news. This is about Valve. You know how lately I've been talking about how Valve is doing this and Valve is doing that and there's all these asset flippers and all these developers putting out garbage products and drowning out all the legitimate games and all the good stuff. Well, Valve apparently has been listening to the complaints and they understand. They've put their finger on the problem. They've identified. They know exactly how to fix it. <laughs> Would you like me to tell you what their idea for fixing it is? Yeah, tell me what their idea okay. is. <laughs> so they're... They're not going to fix it by having people screen these games and look at these developers and look at the quality of the games. No, no, that takes too much time and effort. The, the algorithms would actually have to work in order for that to happen. No, no. The way that these charlatans apply their trade is that they create these farms, these like bot farms where they, cut, they buy games, they sell keys, they give out keys, they get reviews, they boost the game. Then they start getting achievements and they start getting Steam cards. And that's where it happens is the conversion of those Steam cards to actual money. So it's not like $50 somewhere, but it's like three cents, two cents, five cents. But if you do enough of them, it adds up. And Steam makes money from all of these Steam cards. And these Steam cards sometimes are linked to things like achievements. There are people out of this. Again, links to the whole addiction thing. And there are people out there. And I can say that I'm a little bit like these people. Where if I find a game that I like, I will try to 100% achievement. Does it mean that I'm the best player at this game? No. Does it mean that I get some kind of special award? No. Something I like to do. 
So there are people out there that are achievement hunters, and they're the targets for a lot of these games. So that's how they make money. So Valve is going to limit how many achievements and how many trophies you get, because that's obviously how you fix this glut of garbage product, you know? Right. That's... So, that's, so that's, that's one. Now, let me move on. There's another bit about that. So I believe it was last week or maybe the week before, the last week when I was talking about it with Joshua, the week before I was talking about it with you, we had mentioned that Valve is doing some stuff that's similar to Discord, like chat in-game, like that's not a chat window, but actually like Discord-style chat and things like that. Was it with you or was it with Joshua? Hmm. So this is the next news item. I'm moving on to the next one, but it's kind of linked to this. Well, um, regardless. I don't, regardless. I don't remember. Goes. Maybe I just, been with Josh. Or maybe I wanted to and I didn't for whatever reason. But anyways, so, so Valve did this, and the, the company, the service, is not happy about that. They're like, wait a minute. That's not cool. This is a product that we provide. You can't do this. Okay. Explain again what, what's okay. happening. Okay. So when you're playing a game, let's say me and you are playing a multiplayer game, right? Yeah. Unless there's something. So if we're playing on a PS3 and there's like group chat, we can actually talk to one another. Yeah. Over a headset. In Steam games, you can't really do that. You can talk to one another through the messages, like with your friends. You pop right. up a message and you can talk. But you can't really just talk to players within the game. So they create. So you people use Discord. It's like this third-party software that's almost like like a like it's a different idea, but it's kind of like imagine like well, oh, oh, I have an example. You know when we're streaming something on Twitch, right? We'll also be like, so if Dallin and Ben are streaming something, I might be with him on Skype where we can talk with each other, or I might be in the Twitch stream moderating the comments in the stream. Well, Discord is an alternative way of doing that. They yeah, have it's other a, services. Yeah, Discord is another like voice over internet yes. protocol, right? Yes, yes. It's specifically used for video games, but it's being adopted. It's becoming more popular. they got forums. You can do all kinds of cool stuff there. And I've been told time and again we should do it, and one of these days we're going to do it. But until we do it, in the meantime, here's what's going on. Discord did not like Valve stepping on their toes or their tail or their tongue or other appendages. So they actually created a similar overlay to what Steam has. And at a quick glance, they might be going into competition with Steam because you have good old games. You have uh, EA's version. I don't remember what it's called. You have Ubisoft's version, right? Right. Probably Blizzard's version. And now Discord might be doing the same thing. And if Discord or Discord or whatever goes up against Steam, they might actually do something with it there's going to be a link it's an interesting article from Eurogamer. it has a lot more information and since we already went way over this is going to be a really long show i'm not going to go into more details and there's still another news items and games we're playing so let's move on so the final bit of news and nothing bad per se here is that the summer sale is on so if you have an addictive personality i'm sorry for your wallet i'm sorry for your spouse significant other children any dependents you have because steam is going to mug you and take your money not as well as it used to do back in the day but it's going to do it so keep an eye out there's quite a few games that are discounted and with the change that steam has enacted the past few years there's some decent discounts because throughout the year they don't have those flash sales and featured games 80 percent off like they used to do they stopped all that stuff so that's what's going on and having said all of that thank you for sitting through the show the last few things what have you played this week troy uh i played several things this week um i played <laughs> some driftland the magic revival 
and uh, that's going well. I've got a whole bunch of islands now, fighting monsters, uh, nobody's starving and dying, and uh, I've unlocked some new buildings, and that's pretty cool. You know, I'm upgrading a lot of my old ones, and, you know, that, that game's all right. You know, I like it. I enjoy it. Uh, I also played some Thea 1 because uh, I just wanted to get back into it. Uh, just watching the stuff about Thea 2 got me excited to play Thea, so I, I played the original, and it's still great. It's still a lot of fun. I think I'm on a really bad map, though. Mm. Well, I, I got, got a pretty... question. Oh, go question. ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Didn't you do something, i say in the last couple of months, and you wiped your Thea save, so you oh, lost yeah. all your gods? Yeah. Didn't you do that? Yeah, actually, it was almost almost a year ago now. But yeah, like I had, to reformat, I had to reformat yeah. my, my hard drive. Um, and you lost it. So there's like so, no cloud yeah. tape. So you so lost like, all the progress. Right. So like all my, I had all the gods unlocked and maxed out. And like I worked hard to do that. <laughs> now I don't have that anymore. And so like I'm back to playing like level three of the first goddess or or something like that like it's, it's really tough but that's okay tough is good because i i had pretty much mastered that game and and so anyway it, it's still a lot of fun that game is still classic this many years on i i love it um it is still interesting um i either i've forgotten all the quests or there's still quests i haven't done because i, I get things that are kind of new and interesting to me so uh, I, I still recommend it. it. It's a great game. And then, of course, uh, I played some World of Tanks Blitz. They're doing a, a soccer thing right now in celebration of the World Cup. And so I've gotten some free swag via that, and that, that's been good fun. So what about you, Nate? What did you play this week? Well, I actually this week, I have not played as much as I had wanted to play, considering that I'm on vacation and I don't have as many responsibilities as when I'm working, which means I'm actually 10 times busier because the kids are on vacation, so i got to do stuff with the kids and all kinds of stuff like that, which is fine. It's kids. Um, I've been doing a lot of writing this week, which is finally, and like if you guys notice, there's more stuff going up, and for the next, next week and quite possibly the following week, you'll see more stuff going up, and that's because I've had time to do this stuff, to, to put things up, and so far the returns are good. But the one game I have played is Battletech. Not a lot, a couple hours. And uh, I was afraid that the update was going to invalidate my save, which I think is like four-fifths done. And it didn't. So I was really excited by that. And then I played it and I got to see firsthand um, the changes that they put in. And so far, I have yet to find a single one I don't like. Mm-hmm. So I'm really impressed with what they did. They did a really good balance. They fixed a bunch of stuff. They, something I forgot to mention during the news item part is that they sped up animations and one of the features they have is a way for you to speed up movement so that's the issue that a lot of people complain about is that you have like when your mech moves it's big and everything like that playing a game you don't want to sit there and wait for your mech to cross part of the map and not traverse all kinds of weird terrain and stumble about you know come on come on just get there and do it so they put in ways to speed it up and uh, that's great and like the load screens used to be really bad and i mean i have a year, two years ago, it was top of the line. Now it's still top of the line because of all the stuff going on with the cryptocurrency and oh, the yeah, right. inability of people to get uh, processors and and uh, mem- video cards like high end video cards. So even the computers coming out now, 
don't have some of the stuff the mind has. They have a better processor, but they don't have the video card. They're not optimized to the same degree. So my la- my laptop, my gaming rig is is really fast, and even that had some really long wait times. I didn't have it with Stellaris, you know. And this is a game that's notoriously slow. I didn't have it with Stellaris. I didn't have it with Endless Space Two. I didn't have it with Civ Six. I didn't even have it with XCOM, but I was having it with Battletech. And so they fixed a few things, and now it's like the loads are like five seconds, ten seconds between missions. Loading in a save when you're coming back, it's fast. So they did a bunch of stuff. But that's it. That's really all I've been playing. I'll be playing, but the next time we record the show, I'll also be playing Oriental Empires because now I can play it, focus it, think about it without having to be preoccupied with other things. So hopefully I'll get that review finished soon. And the Battletech review is finished, and we're putting in changes based on this latest patch. So there's going to be a couple of things coming up. But that's it. Awesome. That's, that's all. All right. That's great. Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we close up? Just uh, thank you for our patrons for supporting us as usual. You you rock. You really, you're special. Because I know that I've been trying. I, I have a whole bunch of things done, and I've not had the time to like even share it. But I think maybe this week I'll start posting more on uh our Patreon, like for the supporters only, the patrons only, so you guys will see some of the things we got coming. And just to our Steam group, and a question for you guys. Here's a question. So, at the beginning of the year, we were having some major issues with spammers, these skin skin spammers, everything coming on, and just like flooding our forms with spam and all kinds of garbage. So we, I locked down the form where it's invite only. But it's been six months. Should I unlock it for a couple of days or a week or two weeks to see what happens? Or do we just keep it the way it is? Because people can join. They just need to get permission, basically. They request to be added and they get added. So let me know what you think about this. And, uh, yeah, just keep an eye out. There's more content coming. We've got some stuff coming from Gladius for Gladius very soon. we got Battletech. We're going to hopefully have Oriental Empires and a couple of other things in the near future. So stay tuned. And again, thank you for listening. It's been a long show. So thanks for hanging in there. I think it was very important because there's some really big things going down right now. And if I'm not seeing, I see a discussion here and there, but I'm not seeing the discussion that I think it deserves, I guess, in our community, maybe. Anyways, that's it. Thanks. All right. That sounds great. And we'd once again just like to thank you for joining us. We really enjoyed having you. And this has been Troy and Nate for Explorminate. Take care, everyone. See ya.